Welcome to Rem and Sam. We're back at it. Another week. But this week was a little crazier, a little wild. Crazy games all day. We'll just get into it. NFL, you know what we start with. The big news, pretty much what people are saying, the game of the year. Vikings, Bills, Rem, I mean, does this change your perception on either team really or... Or is it pretty much the same after the result of the Vikings beating the Bills in overtime? Well, just on this being game of the year, because that's that's the talk right now. People are saying it's one of the most crazy games we've seen in recent history, except for if you go back less than 12 months, the Bills played your team, the Chiefs, in the playoffs, and it was like the most insane game of all time, like 10 months ago. But this happened. It, wasn't it was awesome. Crazy. It, it was, was kind of crazy. 13 seconds. It was, was kind of crazy. But this time, and, and just just this year in general, you know, Tom Brady has said it. All the fans have thought it watching it on Sundays. Football had this year has just been on, a product on the field. It's been at a little bit of a low point. It hasn't been that great. The too high safety thing has really slowed down what offenses are capable of. And it's funny because this was an awesome, entertaining game, but it was really what made it an awesome, entertaining game was the bad, sloppy football at the end of the game, that has really defined the whole season. Kirk Cousins just falling on the goal line, fourth and goal. They don't get, they don't punch it in. They don't take the lead. And then Josh Allen fumbling the snap, the Vikings taking the lead. So it was a high drama game. The Bills are in these types of games constantly. The Vikings are also in these types of games constantly. It's hilarious that they actually won one and it wasn't even on the Vikings really, but they got the win. And it just sums up a season that, Tom Brady has said it. We've seen a lot of bad football, and this was it. This was the high point for bad football this season. Yeah, I mean, as mentioned in the past, this is very much a pro-Vikings pod this year. And But even I got to admit, that was a little bit of a lucky win. That fourth and 18 should not have been a catch. I mean, that was just crazy. And, you know, that was just Jefferson skill, you know, dragging that down. But, you know, how many times is Josh Allen really fumbling on the goal line? You know, throwing these picks in OT. They definitely got a little bit lucky there. Um, I think most people would still consider the Bills the better team. Um, but the Vikings, you know, give credit to them. They stuck around. They fought back. I think they were down, what, 27 to 10. And they fought back to, you know, pretty much obviously win this game. And I was watching, you know, some of this game. You know, we'll get we'll get back. We'll get back to the tournament, you know, a little Frisbee tournament at the end. But um, we were at the end of the Frisbee tournament and watching with some Vikings fans. And I'm telling you, they were off their chairs. I mean, when that touchdown happened, we had one who was running out the restaurant. It was funny. It was crazy. So it was a great game to watch. Obviously, you know, like you mentioned, even uh, with that Chiefs-Bills game last year, that was a close uh, contestant, I guess, for the year. But definitely for the season so far, it's definitely the game of the year. And, you know, it, I definitely think that the Vikings, you know, because of them coming back, while we still consider, you know, the Bills to be a better team, I do believe Vikings should get more respect, you know, in NFC, especially with the Eagles losing this past week. Who knows? I mean, they they definitely can make their argument to be the best team in the NFC uh, or right up there. Uh, even with the Cowboys losing at, at Packers, I mean, it is in Lambeau, but still, that's still a tough loss. So, I don't know. The Vikings right now are making a tough case to be the best team in the NFC. Are you ready to say it, Rem, or... All right, what, what, where are we standing with Vikings? Well, what they really did 
in this game was Justin Jefferson just went to a whole different level. We know they brought in they brought in the Rams offensive coordinator in the offseason. They're going to do the Cooper Cup impersonation with Justin Jefferson. They want they want the offense to be built around him. He is the sole focus. They want to be able to scheme him in ways to get him the ball. But really what made Cooper Cup season special last year was yes, time and time again the offense was built around Cooper Cup, but when there was just nothing and Stafford was just, where, where do I go? I have nothing to do. He would just find Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup had an ability to get open, and you saw it in the playoffs last year. The last drive against the Bucks in the divisional round, the Rams have the ball 42 seconds on their own. 20. They have 75 yards. You know, they got to try to get a field goal to win the game. Cooper Cup, two receptions, one reception for 20 yards, one reception, one reception for 44 yards. Sets the Rams up. They beat the Bucs. He does the same thing again against the Niners in the conference championship. Has a 25-yard reception on the final drive that sets up the game-winning field goal. And against the Bengals in the Super Bowl, final drive, game-winning drive. He has five touches, 46 yards in the game-winning touchdown. He just, Cooper Cup had the ability to throw the offense on his back in a way that was really special for a receiver to do. And Jefferson, while his stats have been awesome, and his production's been amazing. He hasn't really had that moment as a receiver where he just takes over the game. He's sort of doing everything. He's unstoppable, and he's just throwing the offense on his back and carrying his team down the field. And he did it. He did it in this Bills game. That final drive, three catches, 51 yards, obviously has the incredible one-handed snag that everybody's talking about. And... It doesn't get rewarded with it. Funny enough, it doesn't get rewarded with a touchdown on that drive because that's the drive where Kirk Cousins just falls on the goal line just helplessly. But karma for the catch, Josh Allen fumbles on the goal line. It all works out. Jefferson in that game, it was a career high in targets, 16, a career high in yards, 193 yards. He's now on a 2,000 plus yard pace. He's averaging 117.8 yards per game. Cooper Cup last year. 114 and a half yards per game. He's he's 100 to 1 for MVP right now and Kirk Cousins is 32 to 32 to 1. In, in what world is a Viking going to win the MVP and it's not Justin Jefferson? He was incredible today and this was if we're talking about how do we how, does this game change how we think about the Vikings? Well, if Jefferson's just going to do this elite Cooper Cup, Larry Fitzgerald thing, which is what they were hoping he would do, then yes, the Vikings are going to be contenders in the NFC. Yeah, and I think it's definitely something that he can do. Um, he's a young guy, doesn't have that many miles on him. Um, he's been overperforming ever since he came in the league. I mean, he broke Randy Moss's record, uh, I think, for either yards or touchdowns in his first rookie year. Maybe both. Um, maybe. Yeah, maybe both. Who knows? But he's, I mean, he's always pushed the limit of what he can do and just seeing him continue to blossom and grow. And, and definitely this year, um, you know, analysts have said, you know, I, I've seen it personally, but other people have seen it and said it too. You know, Kirk Cousins is now pushing the pace. You know, he's taking riskier throws because he knows he has a wide receiver in Jefferson who can catch him. I mean, that fourth and 18 was a risky throw in it, but, you know, he had to do it to, um, to win the game. So, or tie it up. So. It definitely seems like, you know, the mentality of the team, their confidence is growing. And they they also don't feel any pressure because they're 
ahead of schedule right now. I mean, no one expected them to be this good. They're not really facing pressure from the Packers in their own division, you know. I mean, those guys are mostly fighting it out between themselves, the bottom three. And so, you know, right now it kind of feels like they're playing with house money. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how far they go in a weak NFC that can't decide who their good teams are. I mean, I definitely can't see a world now with them beating the Bills, you know, and being at least looking the Bills in the eye and being close at the very least. Um, I definitely can see a world where they are making it out of the NFC because of the, I mean, they showed they can compete with a high level team. And that's the question we've always had with the Vikings of whether they can tussle with them. And I mean, they proved it. So I definitely, you know, I've been on the Vikings bandwagon since day one, but the expectations have definitely risen after this last game. Viking Chiefs Super Bowl, the Sam Bowl. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. You might be um, headed toward it. Who knows? But uh, funny you bring up the Chiefs because I, I myself had personal stakes in this game. And not because, and obviously I don't support either team, but with the Vikings beating the Bills, the lone owner of the number one seed in the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know... We, we got to take a little va- victory lap here, just a little one, because at the beginning of the season, everyone was like, Tyreek Hill's getting traded. Chiefs are washed. No one, the Raiders might win the division. It's all topsy-turvy. And even I started to believe some of the talk. I was like, okay, you know, Russell Wilson's in our division. Devontae Adams, you know, the Chargers reloaded, got Randy Gregory. They got some pieces. Like, you can't discount who's out there. So I was like, okay, it might be a little tougher. Well, this week showed that there are three things that are always going to happen. Death, taxes, and us winning the AFC West. And it, it looks like we're on path to do it again because every other team, division team this past week lost. Bills lost. Chiefs got the win. And right now, number one seed in the AFC. We're two games up in our own division. It definitely, with this past week, I mean, we could have definitely scored more. I mean, we went up 20 to 0 on the Jags and they kind of took the foot off the gas pedal. I mean, we play the Chargers again. We do have a little bit of a, a tough schedule. You know, we have some teams still to deal with and the Chargers and Rams, Bengals. Um, but then we get a little easier with the Broncos, Texans, Seahawks, Broncos, and Broncos Raiders to finish off the season. So, you know, we're not facing any really tough teams outside of, like, maybe the Bengals and our division rivals. And so far, Mahomes has shown he takes care of business in the division. And I think that's something people, you know, before this season kind of forgot. And, you know, a little bit of me, too, is that he's only lost, like, three times in his career to a division rival in a division game. I think he's, like, 23-2 and or something, 23-3, and you know, obviously a record. So, it's Mahomes taking care of business. And, you know, as long as you put out four decently talented dudes and Tony has started to show his, you know, growth. I think there's like a clip of him fixing his gloves before he caught a, a pass, like, you know, one one legged jumping in the end zone. So he's starting to get in the offense. You know, Kelsey's still cooking best, you know, tied in and fantasy for in the league. So. Right now, Chiefs are cooking, and if this defense continues to play like this, I don't see much stopping us, at least in the regular season. For leading receivers for snap count against the Jaguars, the receiver, the, your receivers that were on the field 
the most versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number one, MVS, 84% of the snaps. Number two, Justin Watson, who's like your seventh receiver. And the third receiver for the game against the Jags was Kadarius Toney, who's been there like 10 days. You're right. All this hate is coming the in the offseason for your team. You're in the the best division in football. It's going to be insanely tough. The Bills, they're in, they're explosive. The Dolphins add Tyreek Hill. They might be awesome as well. And the one thing that's bared out over the course of the season, you know, we're 10, 11 weeks in at this point, is Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in infrastructure is really the best thing in the AFC over the course of a regular season. It's the most consistent. You're number one now in passing touchdowns, number two in passing yards. I mean, you, you, you've been saying it this whole time. You were, you were even saying it after the Bills came in to Arrowhead and beat you that, you, you know, you're, you're not worried. Andy Reid and these guys, the offense is still going to continue to work itself out. It's going to get better. The defense is playing amazing. Now, now and, the, you know, the Bills come in, they beat you. They have the home court tiebreaker when it comes to getting the one seed in the playoff picture. And now that doesn't even matter because the Chiefs have the better record. The Bills don't even have the best record in the division anymore. The Dolphins are technically winning the division. So now you guys... Not even the second best. You guys are safely at number one. And the infrastructure, the consistency of the whole thing as has bared itself out is just... It's the best thing in the AFC. We've seen it now time and time again. They were in, what, like the last four AFC championship games. This is what, this is what Andy Reid does. He just builds these consistent powerhouses. And it's happening again. It doesn't even matter who's playing receiver for you. You just rotate them in and out. Everything's firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it is. Actually, that is an interesting side note with the Bills. Is They better watch out because, you know, they, especially if they're trying to get home field advantage, because their division is surprisingly very competitive if we're looking at a best division. And, you know, actually both East divisions are right now looking to put all their teams in the playoffs. I think only the commanders are half a game back. Um, They're the only team, but every other team right now is in the playoff picture. So it's very competitive in both seasons, especially for the bills. They can't keep dropping games like this. Cause it, I mean, it definitely feels like a couple of these fluky losses. I mean, even last week, I, um, I'm trying to remember who they lost to, but um, yeah, it was the jets. Yeah. They lost to the jets uh 20 to 17 and that felt like an exact carbon copy of the dolphins loss and you know this week against the vikings so hopefully they get right because it's not looking good but yeah with the chiefs like you mentioned the infrastructure i mean you know they won a couple division titles before moms got there and now they're you know we broke the record last year with six and now it's looking like a pretty easy march to seven and can't wait to continue to see this offense grow because it's definitely not at all cylinders um, I still feel like we can run the ball more often uh, and use that more. I, I mean, I almost wonder, you know, especially for these regular season games, if like Andy Reid once in a while is like, screw it, let's have Mahomes be a system quarterback. You know, steal some stuff from Shanahan, try to, you know, have him do less, you know, in games where, you know, we're not trying as hard. And then once the playoffs come, we can see Mahomes magic. He can show off, you know, and then go off script, um, you know, and then save him and his throws. But whatever works, you know, and keep on chugging. And right now, it seems like most of the games we have here at the end are division rivals, and we've known to take care of business. So, like you said, we ain't worried about anything. And um, 
looks like you guys shouldn't be worried about anything either. Um, helping out the Chiefs by beating the Raiders this past week. Jeff Saturday as your new coach, undefeated. What did you think about the decision to bring Matt Ryan? Were you done with Ellinger? Well, we thought they were bringing in Jeff Saturday to rally these guys toward bringing in C.J. Stroud. We thought they were trying to lose games, <laughs> Sam, is what they were trying to do. Turns out, as as they were saying in the pre press conferences, turns out Jeff Saturday is a leader. He's a competitor. They expect their roster to continue to compete. They bring back Matt Ryan. And now all of a sudden, an offense that was completely dead in the water the last month was simplified. It was quick. Matt Ryan was processing things. He wasn't having to, you know, when when Frank writes there, Matt, Matt Ryan's running around. He's trying to create things. That's when he's fumbling. That's when he's intercepting. He's old. He can't do that anymore. He's Matt Ryan anyways. He never really was a mover to begin with. Now he's just get the ball out quick, get the ball out in the middle of the field. And Jonathan Taylor was unlocked as well in this game. He had a 66-yard touchdown run. And to this point in the season, his three longest runs of the season, he's only had three runs of 20 or more yards to this point in the season. A 27-yard run versus Washington, and then two 21-yard runs versus the Jags. They were down 24 nothing. Jags in prevent defense. Easy, easy money. So, Jonathan, he's, you know... Injured, limping around, having a disappointing fantasy season. He goes off this week. Everything seems to be a little bit smoother with Jeff Saturday in the building. Who knew? Who knew Jeff Saturday was be built for Sunday, Sam? Who knew? Who knew this guy would come in, rally the troops? But I, I don't really know what to think in the long term because, like I said, he's a leader. I'm inspired. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to run through a roll. I want to win these games. But I know. I'm staring at our team, and maybe we do need a quarterback. That's what we thought the long-term play was. So I don't really know what to think here, but Jeff Saturday's definitely got everybody feeling good in Indianapolis all of a sudden. Yeah, sounds like you're ready to get a helmet on, get out there on the field. Yeah, I can't couldn't couldn't wait to start hearing the jokes. You know, oh, it's Saturday built for Sunday. Oh, Mister Sunday. But yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. You got you know, even got Ryan out here running scrambles. What a thirty-seven-year-old running a thirty-eight-yard scramble. Um, but you know, it's definitely. Uh, I I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was surprised Jeff Saturday was this good. You know, coming out of the booth, obviously someone around football stuff like that. But you know, when you haven't been. I mean, I guess he had been giving, you know, sources came out, he'd been giving advice about offensive line stuff. It's not like he just came out of the blue and started working. But, you know, it's kind of interesting that your guys' goal is to win and not to tank, um, like you mentioned, because uh, like the AFC has shown, you guys, we, I mean, you need a special quarterback to win. Now, not, not for your division. I mean, you guys can definitely compete in your division with Matt Ryan. You know, uh, Trevor Lawrence has seemed a little shaky as of late. You know, Tannehill, we don't even know if he can keep his starting job, and we don't even got to worry about the Texans. So, you know, for your division, Matt Ryan is fine. But, I mean, if the aspirations are definitely for Super Bowl, you know, looking for that special guy like Manning, like Luck, you know, I definitely think, you know, you guys obviously got to tank. But, it's you know, it's hard to end up in the NFL to tank. I mean – you're telling guys to go take car crashes for a year just so you can, you know, hopefully get a better pick. So, you know, I understand why, you know, you still want to compete 
And uh, I mean, how far do you think you can go? I mean, do you, do you do you, are you are you all in on Saturday? Is he actually Mister Sunday? Like, do you do you believe? Are you are you expecting your team to win these games? I think it was perfect timing that Jeff Saturday's first game was against a team that he literally was tweeting about weeks ago, saying that they looked awful. The Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are basically decimated at this point. Anybody under. Anybody that was brought in under the Mayock Gruden era has been basically is basically gone from the team except for Josh Jacobs, but all the defenders are gone. You know, this is a weird group of backup late round picks, a couple guys that they've signed. Obviously, Max Crosby's there. He is an elite edge rusher, but they've been torn down. And Josh McDaniels, I mean, we were calling for the Raiders to bring back Baseka early in the season. This Josh McDaniels thing is is going completely off the rails. He is seven and 24 for his career in his last 31 games. Josh McDaniel, Sam is 46 years old. Is this it for him as a head coach in the NFL? Will he ever coach? Will he ever be a head coach after this Raiders gig? He's 46 years old. Yeah. He shouldn't have been made a head coach in the first place. I, I mean, because he had that previous record and, you know, it was definitely a head scratcher as to why, and Raiders brought him in when Baseka had the team believing in him. You know, he had the team um, invested. And, you know, Raiders continue to shoot themselves in the foot, which, you know, is kind of not my problem as a Chiefs fan. But, you know, you know, I still feel bad for him. I think with Derek Carr, he's similar to Kirk Cousins, where unless, you know, you have a special player, which they do in Adams, but they don't really – have a good infrastructure, you know, beyond that, you know, with the Vikings, they kind of know who they are. They've kind of, you know, they've gone through the wars and battles with the their whole team while this is, um, you know, Carr's first year with Adams. And it just seems like, you know, Josh McDaniels doesn't, it doesn't feel like he knows what he's doing there. And, and it's definitely kind of definitely less hopeful. And, but, Going back to Jeff Saturday, uh, it looks like your boy is going to have a tough test in the next couple of weeks because you guys, your guys' schedule gets a lot harder, especially in the next uh, three or four games. Um, because next week you're playing the Eagles, then you got, uh, then you get a little bit of a break with the Steelers, uh, but then you got to face the Cowboys and the Vikings in the next couple to two weeks after that. So it'll be interesting to see how your boy handles those troubles. Um, in the next month, because it, I mean, it can definitely be defining whether he'll keep his job or get kicked out. And, um, how do you feel as a fan watching these games? I mean, do you want to lose badly? You're trying to win. Like how, how does it work? If they have a plan in place to bring in a quarterback outside of the draft, then, you know, by all means, try to win games. I just don't, I don't think they do because they haven't for five years now, their free agency moves, (laughs) a quarterback have been. Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and Matt Ryan. That leads me to just go, I kind of think they need to go to the top of the draft. It's worked for them in the past. And it's crazy that, again, after one game, the just the reaction to this whole thing, he's doing interviews after the win on Sunday. People are now talking about players getting fast-tracked into coaching positions. Like, is this going to revolutionize how teams hire coaches? Again, it's one game. It was against a disastrous Raiders situation that we just laid out. They have Philly coming up. The schedule is going to be tougher. So there, I 
I think they're going to end up losing some games here, some schedule losses. I don't think they're going to have a problem, but it's a competitive roster. And the offense, again, it was simplified to kind of how you would want it to be with Matt Ryan. It's, you know, the two-minute offense, but let's just go ahead and run it for 60 minutes instead, and let's make sure Jonathan Taylor gets his 25 touches as well. So, you know, with a competitive roster, maybe doing that, that's something that could work. But again, the schedule is going to get tough. I don't think they're going to have problems losing games. It's just going to be if they land in that 17, 18, 19 pick range and they're kind of outside the range of, you know, Mac Jones goes 15 and, you know, you start that's that started the cutoff there where the good quarterbacks go. But Jalen Hurts also goes in the 50s. So who knows how it works out. But Saturday, again, it's he's going to he's going to make the people in the building feel good. He's going to get the players ready every week. And I think Frank Reich was losing the locker room. And I think Jeff Saturday, he's just not analytical like Frank Reich. I think Ursay was looking to get away from the analytics. And Saturday was making his decisions. He was making football decisions this week, not analytical decisions. And it work, It works against Josh McDaniels anyways. Yeah. You know, the team, I, like you mentioned, I do feel like there's a little bit of overreaction. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he does. I mean, it's proving the progress. We'll see. Um, and a little bit of other overreactions. Uh, Cowboys going to Lambeau and taking L in overtime. And, you know, it was a big old game. A um, whole lot of scoring. I think it was uh, 28 to 31. And uh, it definitely felt like, both teams were were really aggressive in this game. And, you know, for once, the receivers decided to catch the ball. You know, Christian Watson looked like a Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver out there. And they got, I mean, the Packers finally get right. I mean, they finally get a good win. Feels like so long for them. Um, looking at the stats, you know, Rodgers has three touchdowns, 224 yards. Aaron Jones goes crazy, 138 yards, one touchdown. You know, Christian Watson, 107 yards, three touchdowns. Um, I mean, but it, it was, I mean, it was a high octane game because you look at the other side with the Lamb, you know, CD Lamb at 150 yards, two touchdowns. Pollard had 115 yards, one touchdown. And, you know, it just felt like they were swinging away. And, you know, the home team, I mean, won in overtime. That, doesn't seem that crazy, especially when Rodgers is the quarterback. Are we still are we still pretty much down on the Packers slash out on Rodgers? Because I mean, you know, I'm happy for their win. It seems like the Cowboys always get a little bit screwed with playing in Lambo, which makes sense. It's an outdoor up north game in the middle of November. Um, but you know, I kind of am still down. I'm kind of still out on the Packers as a whole this season. I think we're definitely both still out on Mike McCarthy because that's what this game came down to. Mike McCarthy was feeling himself a little bit too much in overtime. And just in general, the whole the whole vibe coming into the game, he's he's overplaying it too much. He's back at Lambeau Field, his first game since coaching the Packers. Obviously, he coached the Packers for 13 years, had one Super Bowl appearance and just a bunch of mixed results at the end. And he comes in, he's wearing the long coat. He's doing kind of the Vince Lombardi impersonation. It Things are going good through three quarters. Cowboys are up 24-14. Cowboys have also never lost a game 
in the entire history of the franchise when they're up by 14 or more points entering the fourth quarter, 195 and 0. Mike McCarthy manages to have two offensive drives that stall out. The game goes to overtime. They get the ball. They drive down. They're on the Green Bay 35. It's fourth and three. McCarthy goes for it instead of taking the field goal. They don't get it. Green Bay, of course, drives down. They don't even have to get a touchdown because Dallas just gave him the ball. They kick the field goal. They win. So Mike McCarthy's definitely doing too much. I'm glad he's not Vince Lombardi. I'm glad the karma came and got him and said, you, 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 you know, he's he's not he's not making Vince Lombardi aggressive like decisions here. That's not what he's doing. Yeah. But on 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 the Packers side, you know, you mentioned Christian Watson goes off. He has four receptions for 107 yards and three touchdowns. This was the second time this season that he's played 40 or more snaps. The first time was in week one. And if you remember in week one, the first play of the season, he cooks Patrick Peterson on a go route, but drops the pass. He also dropped a couple passes here as well. But you see kind of his explosiveness, his size come into play, how maybe they could use him. I mean, he's 6'5". He ran a 4'3'6 at the combine. You see now he's had a game where he's shown some stuff. Dobbs has had moments this season as well. So you think Watson, Dobbs, Lazard is your third receiver. That's kind of worked in the past. Is this – where where is this going for the Packers? Is this the receiver group coming together? Is this – long-term the young guys you know maybe eventually they'll become something or is this like these guys are going to show flashes enough to keep the Packers away from investing in offense in the draft you know I think that's because that's that's worst case scenario they're like well I guess we don't need a receiver because remember that one Christian Watson game and remember what dubs is flashed so where is this where is this all headed with the receivers because that's again that's what the whole thing is riding on is the evolution of these guys and they got production out of one today, but I don't, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season. Yeah. I think the wide receivers are just getting used to the increased production from them, increased expectations. You know, they're pushed to the forefront. Now they're, you know, people actually know their names, you know, it kind of just focus on Adams when he was there. And, you know, now that they're starting to get used to it, you know, again, it was at home. It did feel a little bit of a what lucky win. And, Definitely, you know, Rodgers is still a solid quarterback, you know, on a right day. He can still, he can still, you know, hit his guys and he got it done. He got it done. And I mean, the run game was on fire as well in this game, you know, able to take some pressure off him, got some, I mean, probably helped with getting him, getting some clean looks. It, I, I mean, again, it was still only a three point game. You know, it did go to overtime. It's not like the Cowboys got rolled and, I definitely still don't believe in the the Packers. I I mean, it was a nice win, but I still don't think it didn't really fix the issues with the team. But it is nice to see growth from the young guys, you know, actually catching the balls. And, you know, it'll be be interesting to see if they continue this. I doubt it, but who knows? Maybe they flipped, turned a page or flipped it, but we got to see another week of it. Dobbs has only had moments. Watson's only had this game. He's still had almost as many drops as he's had good plays, but they are there and health has been a big thing as well for this group because outside of these young guys, like it's Sammy Watkins who has been pretty bad this entire season. Amari Rogers, who they just 
they just waved. He's not even on the team anymore. So it's been a pretty awful receiving core behind him. I know they have the running backs there, but still Rodgers has got to throw to somebody. So getting these guys back healthy as well, it's just like, hey, now we have a starting level receiving group as we actually have like NFL level receivers out on the out on the field maybe that'll bring their offense back to competency they're still only a game out of the playoffs at this point but like you said i do think we're gonna have to see some consistency from these guys but they did get good stuff from christian watson all right well moving on to the other interesting league going on in the middle of the season nba Looking like ups and downs, games every night, and they're all fun to watch, but, you know, it's hard to go game by game doing analysis. I mean, 81 games times, you know, 15 because the teams are playing each other. and So many games. But there's still some trends going on. We can see some trends over time. And one of the trends uh, we're seeing is, is the torch being passed for the best NBA backcourts. This is your idea, Rem. And you mentioned that top of the list has been dominated by Curry and Clay for a while, right? I think it's pretty safe to say that these guys have been the best backcourt in the NBA since I was going back. Like 2014 was the 2014-15 season was when they won their first title. So I mean, if you want to go back to then, the last the last like eight seasons, they've been the best backcourt in the league. I know Clay up and down last year. Steph, they won the titles. So I mean they can still they can still lay claim to that. The era still goes until 2022. But Curry's been awesome this year. 31 points a game, 31, 6, and 6. He's 50, 40, 90 as well. Shooting splits. Thompson's been the one that's been struggling. And we've been talking about this not on the pod, but off pod about the Warriors struggles a little bit. Thompson's Less than 15 points a game right now. He's 14.7, 35, 33, 75 shooting splits. So, you know, Curry and Thompson, they're still still productive, still awesome. Curry is still an MVP title winning type player. But as a collective backcourt, I think there might be some backcourts that are performing better as duos. And I just think we should go through them. And see if it's time to see if it's time to pass the torch to a new backcourt. I, I maybe it's not time to do it yet, but we can go through the nominees and we can see where they stand against Steph and Clay because it's a long season. Clay might still get he- healthy. You know, Curry's going to continue to be awesome, and when we get into the playoffs, maybe our list will go back to Steph and Clay. Maybe the list change to Steph and Jordan Poole. Who knows? But. These, I think, are the nominees for best backcourt in the NBA. Let's see. Total, I have I have total, but I think there's three that really are, like, actually the best backcourt in the NBA for honorable yeah. mention. So we can go through the top three here that I think are in contention for the new best backcourt in the NBA. And, yeah, like like we said – the other other backcourts that were good in the past, like Damon CJ are the ones that stand out. I guess like Chris Paul and JJ Redick were pretty good back in the you know, Manu and Tony Parker had a long run yeah. there. But the new guys, the first one. Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas. Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas. Hey, for 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 a moment. That's like a backcourt and a half. 
It's like one John and a half. John Wall and Bradley Beal. Okay, I'll stop. Yeah, that's stop another one. <laughs> no, do it, please. I mean, there are good teams, but, you know, they're like one-year streaks. Teague and Kyle Corver? Wasn't there a Jeff Teague and Kyle Corver? Oh, oh, we about to save it. Great minds. Think alike. We named it at the same time. Je- yeah, Teague and Kyle Corver. That was, that was a good one. That, 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 that was actually, yeah, there was a little stretch there. But anyway, let's get to the real list. Not for interrupting. Number one, the first one we should throw out there. They've had the most success of any of the duos that I'm going to throw out. They were on fire in the regular season last year. They were one of the all-time regular season teams. Even though it didn't pan out in the playoffs, they still won 60-plus games. That is Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Devin Booker this year, 26-5-5, shooting splits. Chris Paul's stats, obviously, the stats don't tell the story. He's nine points, nine assists. He hasn't been shooting the ball as well either, but he's still impacting games. He's still good. The Suns are still winning. They're still going to be on top of the Western Conference this regular season. The second nominee, quickly, a new backcourt that just formed this year, but they are they're playing insane right now. And that's the backcourt in Cleveland. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. Donovan Mitchell, 31 31 points, six assists per game right now. 50, 40, 87 shooting splits. Garland is 21 and eight. 39, 40, 78 shooting splits. And then the last nominee I want to bring to you for best backcourt in the NBA, the Memphis Grizzlies backcourt. John Morant, Desmond Bain. John Morant, 29, seven and six. 48, 41, 78 shooting splits. Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain this season is... 24, 5 and 5, 46, 45 percent from the free from the three-point line, 91 percent from the free throw. We can dig into all these guys a little bit, but those are quickly are the nominees. The Grizzlies backcourt, the Suns backcourt, the Cavs backcourt. Which one of those guys jumps off the page to you first to take over to pass the torch to Steph from Steph and Clay? Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention the numbers for Desmond Bain because they're kind of stupid how good he's been this season. Um, I think one honorable mention that does need to be named is the Hawks, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. Um, just because of how great Trey Young has been playing and DeJounte Murray, you know, has been a solid defender. Um, it's maybe even worked out better than before. And I think one sneaky thing is that, you know, you can see I think Trey Young is growing as a player. I mean, you know, it seemed like he already kind of was a near the top, but I mean, his playmaking is kind of on another level and stuff like that. So, but obviously I don't think he, that backcourt is better than any of these guys, but you know, just had to throw out the names out there. They were um, my first, they were my first honorable mention. Yeah, definitely. Definitely in the honorable mention. Um, I'm trying to think who's in the jazz. I mean, is it, is it Clarkson and whoever's there? I don't know. Conley and Clarkson. Bro. Conley and Clarkson before they get traded. Uh, no, I, I mean, for the first one, and I think it, you know, I think this might be your answer too. Pretty easy answer. Um, With the growth that Bain has shown this year, I think it has to be the Grizzlies pretty clearly. John Moran is just on a different level and their size, athleticism, um, what they can do on both sides of the floor. 
Um, I think uh, today there was just a crazy clip of a steal from John Morant. I mean, he has his back to the play and he turns around and steals the ball. I mean, because he knew it was going to happen. And, you know, with his otherworldliness and now uh, Desmond Bain being the consistent scorer, you know, kind of balancing the two, you know, and being, you know, like you mentioned, 45% from three. And he need John Morant needs a, someone to spread out the floor with him being, you know, more of a downhill attacker. He attacks the rim. And Desmond Bain has filled that role as a three and D guy, but he's started to push beyond his role, you know, kind of leaning, leading the bench at times, um, you know, in that playoff series against the Warriors last year, he was their main guy. And yeah, they did lose, but he still had some moments in that game in that series too. So I, I definitely think Desmond Bain is making a strong push for most improved player of the year. And he, I mean, that's definitely a strong foundation on top of, you know, we could have another 10 minutes about how good the Grizzlies are, how deep they are. But, you know, John Moran and Desmond Bain are the foundation that they're building this team on. And that's allowing them to take riskier picks, you know, with Roddy Ridge and, you know, more project kind of guys, Zaire Williams, but guys with high upside because they know they have elite play from that backcourt. So um, I definitely, and considering that these guys are coming into their prime, Versus Warriors going out of their prime, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go with the Grizzlies. Even though you know Curry will continue to make that previous Warriors backcourt still competitive for a long, long time. You said great minds think alike. I agree with you, Sam. I do think it would be the Grizzlies. I mean, of all these guys, I guess Booker and Chris Paul have had the most success in the regular season and in the playoffs. But the Grizzlies were right behind them last year, and in the playoffs against the Warriors, like we said, Morant was unstoppable. He's going to be an MVP candidate. And Bain has done the Clay Thompson thing where Clay Thompson was an elite, you know, just an elite like sidekick type player to Steph, the perfect compliment, exactly what he needed from his two guards. Like Bain is that for Ja, where he is a perimeter creator. You know, Thompson didn't have to shoot off the dribble as much. He just could spot up. Bain gets to create off the dribble a little bit more off the perimeter because draws because Ja is so elite driving to the basket and they need somebody to balance that out and again 45 percent from three like on eight attempts a game the man is automatic so the mitchell mitchell and garland is tempting and mitchell has been awesome this year it is their first season at with those guys together so we'll see long term where that goes that's one i'm tempted I, I'm, I'm tempted that that one tempts me a lot because mitchell has been awesome this year and garland just put up 50 points as well against minnesota so we know he is a baller. In a loss, though. In a loss, but pretty good 51. It was fun to watch. And yeah, uh, yeah I think I, I think the Grizzlies, I think the Grizzlies are the pick for the for I, I think you I think you can make the case that the Grizzlies are both the best backcourt in the league right now with how both these guys are playing. And they are the backcourt that you would want to pass the torch on. Just going into the future, you know, the backcourt you would want with how with how these guys are playing right now. And they're young and they're continuing to grow every season. You said Desmond Bain, most improved. Could he be the first back to back most improved? Or I guess I guess was it Ja last John year? Yeah, it was Ja, but he gave Bain. it to Desmond Bain. Yeah. It was Ja, yeah, it was Ja last year. But I mean, you know, back to back teammates, you know, I guess there was didn't didn't Danny Granger win it back to back years there somewhere and maybe triple who knows um on the Pacers back but I I think with the team I think like you mentioned 
the Grizzlies would be a better team to pass this torch onto. You know, with the two other teams, half of their backcourt was brought in either trade or free agency. You know, and how many years does Chris Paul have left in the tank? Also, you know, on the defensive side, he can get exploited. Now, he has a high IQ, smart player, but, you know, with his injuries and stuff, he's kind of in and out. So, you know, with the Suns, it seems like this window is closing. Closing, And with the Cavaliers, you know, they just got – uh, they just got Mitchell, you know, and it's working well, but, you know, I still feel like, especially when they get that playoff pressure on them, you know, the cracks in the chemistry will start to show. They feel like a little still unfinished product for Garland and that kind of team with Mobley and stuff. They still need to figure some stuff out, but, you know, having Mitchell does definitely raise the floor. It puts those guys in situations to help them grow even faster and we'll see where they push the limit, but, Right now, like you mentioned, I got to go with Bain and uh, Morant for the future as well. And, you know, it's almost poetic. You know, there's a whole Star Wars saying where, you know, the story repeats itself, but not exactly. It just rhymes. And it's a very similar situation here with Grizzlies as, you know, John Morant, similar to Curry, is a little bit of a, you know, higher uh, prospect. But, you know, some serious questions about his game. Um, you know, whether he can translate to the league, you know, Zion, both team, both of them overlooked by, you know, other prospects with more established stuff. And they're starting to look as starting to look as the best pick in their drafts. I mean, who knows with Zion this year, you know, we'll, we'll get into the Pelicans a little bit. You know, I don't know if we will there. It's a little it's a little shaky right now for my team. But, you know, John Moran has shown to be the most at least, the you know, the most consistent superstar in that draft. And, you know, Desmond Bain, like Clay Thompson, you know, both coming out of nowhere. Uh, Desmond Bain from Kansas State, Clay Thompson from a small school. And both guys, you know, have had to grit and grind to get where they're at. And now they're considered elite guys. You know, Clay Thompson's obviously a better shooter. Probably, you know, who knows, may end up being a better player at the end of the day. But, you know, Desmond Bain still, you know, he knows his role. He doesn't really, I mean, he doesn't cause any drama. He's not trying to get in John Morant's play. And he's just ready to do what needs to get done. He's ready to get down and dirty and work. And, you know, considering his size and how big he is, um, you know, he's great on defensive end, too. He, I mean, it does feel like he's a little stiff at times, but if he can continue to improve his shooting with how deep this team is, I mean, it'll definitely be interesting to see how far they go. But it's I always love, you know, and that obviously, like Clay and Thompson, I mean, they love each other. You know, maybe Bain and Moran are closer than Thompson and Curry. Who knows? But definitely feels like there's a big connection between those two. Just two young guys, you know, making a name for themselves. And I definitely can't wait to see how they continue to grow the next couple of years. Um, you know, if the Nuggets, you know, aren't able to figure it out, they're probably going to be my pick for the finals. And who knows? I mean, we'll get into a little bit of the Warriors' struggles later, but it definitely feels like I, I definitely agree with you. I I think the Grizzlies will definitely take the torch and have it for a while to come in this backcourt. And I think Booker and Mitchell, we're gonna we're gonna have MVP conversations about both those guys at some point in this season. They're playing incredible, but not to take away from what Mitchell and Garland are doing, but they do also have one of the best front courts in the NBA as well with Mobley and with Jared Allen. So if you want to continue with the Stephen clay and go you know the way the team is built the center of the team is the backcourt and the way the 
offense functions is around these perimeter players. That would be more what Memphis does. Cleveland, they have the balance between the guards and the front court as well. So that is just it's just a team that's really, really it put together really, really well. We know they're amazing. And Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you know, classic Chris Paul to be like the second backcourt on everybody's list because he was probably like the second guard in the Curry run as well. So put him as the second guard in the John Morant, Desmond Bain run. We can go through a couple of my other honorable mentions as well. You mentioned the number one honorable mention I had was Trey Young and DeJounte Murray as well. Trey Young is 27 and nine this season, 27 points, nine assists. DeJounte Murray is 21, seven and six this year. The other backcourt I had for top honorable mention guys was Maxi and James Harden. But I didn't feel like they, I felt like they, you know, they, they could be on a list, but they weren't actually yeah. going to be, be the top guy. And Harden's hurt right now, too. He's out for a month. So we won't see them for a hot minute. But Harden's 22 points, 10 assists. Maxi is 23 points. Four assists, forty point forty percent from the three point line this year. So, also Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, deep deep sleepers. Tyrese Halliburton's been twenty points a game, ten assists, 48, 42, 86 shooting splits. Matherin Matherin's not technically starting, but they do play together quite a bit and Matt Matherin's 19.9 points a game. So basically 20 points a game and he's 45% from the three point line as a rookie on over six attempts a game. So deep, deep sleeper Matherin and Halliburton, and then another deep sleeper Dame Lillard and Anthony Simons. Lillard has, Lillard has been pretty, pretty good to start the season as well. 28 points, six assists per game. Simon's 22 points a game, four assists. And going into today, we're recording this Tuesday night. Going into today, they were nine and four. They were the number one seed in the Western Conference. So I guess we have to mention them in the discussion as well. But none of those guys would have been the top. But those were the those were the honorable mentions, the other names to satisfy the fan bases out there. Are there do we do we need to mention anybody else? Lamelo and Terry Rogier. Did I okay, miss anybody? Now, now, now we're getting, now we're just getting silly. Now, now we're just getting stupid. This is silly. Now we, we don't, I love LaMelo, love him to death. <laughs> They're not even close to touching this list. Um, But, you know, it's definitely, I mean, we've seen the Warriors take a couple steps back, going into a little bit of why we're having this conversation. Warriors, you know, they had the Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole. Now Jordan Poole, you know, starts a game and actually looks really good. I mean, he's a little bit of a hot, cold guy. Um, who knows if he's consistent enough, but the Warriors have dropped the last couple games. I think it was like 11 out of 14 at one point. Um, but they had, you know, and look, they needed Curry to bail him out of a lot of situations. Clay's been in and out. But, you know, looking at the film and stuff breakdown, it seems like, Per normal, as we thought, Draymond Green is getting slower and he's becoming a liability, especially on the defensive end as he continues to lose his agility and stuff. And, you know, I'm for one, you know, I've been trying to get rid of him for years. Uh, you know, I, I really like what Draymond Green brings to the table, but 
you know, once he loses that athleticism, it's really hard to justify his position, especially when you consider how many other centers, you know, even average centers now are used to making passes. You know, there it's expected of them to know how, and especially with the, you know, decrease in what, you know, centers need for post moves and stuff like that. You've definitely seen them do more playmaking, you know, just simple screen, stuff like that. So, you know, Draymond Green, you know, always having the play, uh, place in Warriors' hearts. But, you know, I personally think it's time to cut ties now. Obviously, you can't do it right now, right now. But, like, we've already discussed, you know, next year will be the reckoning year. As Jake, Joe Lacob said, he's not bringing everyone back. He's not paying $500 million in luxury tax. But, yeah, I mean, is this... Is this really surprising run for you? Like the Warriors underperforming or, you know, and what, what do they need to do to fix it? Defensively, they've been one of the worst teams in the league this year. I think they're near the bottom in defensive rating. And I think that's probably because they've had games where they've sat a lot of the older guys. They have left it up to the young guys. They had a game where it was just like pool, Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman, the starting like the starting lineup of the future, but it was just against the Pelicans on a Wednesday night. And those guys are young. Draymond was calling them out, saying that, you know, the defensive struggles, this is on the young guys, all this stuff. This stuff will correct itself over a season. Curry's been awesome. But Sam, I I I hate to do it. I hate to drag the Lakers into a basketball conversation. Bring them on in been reports going around that there's this mystery player that the Lakers are waiting for to to use the Russell Westbrook contract in a trade for if they're going to use the Russell Westbrook contract and package that with the picks before they do a Kyrie deal or before they do a Nets deal for Heald and Turner or whatever there's a mystery player that they want these these are the reports going around we know Lakers are building this team right now. We know it's geared toward LeBron James, business off the court. It's loaded with clutch clients. I know we've I know we've made jokes in the past. Ben Simmons, maybe, is he the guy? Is he going to end up on the Lakers? But again, they're waiting on a Kyrie deal. That would probably be in some mega Ben Simmons slash Kyrie for whatever deal, if it was with Brooklyn. If you look at who is represented by Clutch Sports Sam. Somebody on the Golden State Warriors. His name is Draymond Green. There's been turmoil with this team, with him in the offseason. We know it. We know that this team, again, has been playing the young guys. Maybe this is a season they want to geared toward the future. And if the Lakers are really concerned with LeBron and business and clutch sports. And there's maybe a mystery guy that they're waiting on. We LeBron was at the wedding. He was at Draymond's wedding this off season. They were making jokes about getting together and teaming up. I don't know. Is this, is it, are they going to call Lake up and be like, Hey, do you want to do Westbrook in the picks for Draymond and something else? Is he, how gettable is he right now from the warriors? Mm. And will that continue to go up over the course of the season? Because we saw in the finals that, if that's Giannis that they're matched up against and Draymond's having to defensively go up against Giannis instead of this younger team that he's able to overcome with sort of his toughness and his physicality, 
and that's able to impact the game to the point where he is still a useful player. You know, if Giannis is out there dunking all over him, maybe maybe we're having a different conversation. We have the off court drama. I I I don't I don't know if they would want to break this core up. It would seem unlikely, but who knows? Because again, you've made the point. They're not going to pay all these guys and. Yeah. If they're not going to do that, well, they just paid Wiggins and Poole going into the season. So yeah. now Draymond is the all, the odd man out. Is this is this a conversation we're going to have to start having? Is Draymond is Draymond maybe going to end up on the market at some point this season? I feel like with Draymond, what are, you know, what people have been saying around the league is that everyone. The Warriors value Draymond Green more than everyone else in the league. Like they value him the most. And, you know, teams already do that with their own players, but especially with Draymond Green, you know, where there could be a huge disparity between what people, you know, would want from a player of his pay, of his caliber versus what they're getting. And especially in the regular season where Draymond can kind of, you know, sleepwalk through games and kind of go through games and where, you know, he, he has a defensive IQ. I mean, that's probably never going away. But his body's starting to fail. And then, you know, he's starting to get exposed on defense. And, you know, teams are starting to pick him in matchups. And that's, I think that's the ultimate sign. And that's where the Rudy Gobert, it's kind of called, the, I guess, the Rudy Gobert rule. And that, like, what, you know, no matter how many times, you know, he wins Defensive Player of the Year and you bring up all these stats of, over the season, how he stops the defense, when playoff series come down to the line, they bring out Rudy Gobert and they want to go one-on-one against him. And, you know, we've seen the clips with Curry and, you know, it's, it's, you know, tough for him, but it's just how the league works. I mean, they'll do whatever it takes to win. And it's the same thing with Draymond Green where now in games, he's starting to get put on an Island and it's because teams know they can cook him. They smell blood in the water. It's all every time when the it's, it's the opinions of the other teams that matter when it starts coming to these players, because especially when you have attachment to the players and they have, you know, wrong view of themselves, skewed view of themselves. I mean, Draymond still thinks he's a star. We could tell by punch with the punch with pull, you know, he still thinks he's a top player and obviously other teams don't. And similar to the story, you know, Kenny, the Jet Smith one time gave, um, you know, or not speech, but you know, point he gave about when he knew he was, his time was done in the league. And he's like, when I first started, you know, whenever I get a steal and run to the basket, you know, I take a look behind me and take a picture and no one was running. No one was trying to chase me down. And near the end, you know, he could tell he's starting to get done because people were thinking they could catch him, you know, and they're starting to chase him. And then they actually did chase him and they actually did catch him and he'd get blocked on steals and stuff like that and running to the basket. And that's what's happening now with Draymond. Teams know they can catch him. Teams know they can cook him. And especially with how, um, uh, liability he is on the other side of the floor in offense and you know he's he's near unreliable from three I mean his only great skill I guess is knowing how to pass quickly the ball like considering the number of young players on this team how many other players need development need those minutes I've been saying you know for years to get rid of Draymond because it's once it goes downhill it really gets ugly and you know he'll end up a hall of famer probably great player you know, had some all-time moments, deserves, you know, all the praise in the world. But 
just the way his play style is and stuff like that, you know, once he starts lagging behind, there's there's not really a path for an old Draymond to really survive in the league uh, besides like a Udonis Haslam kind of role. And do you think he can do that on the Warriors? Can he just fall back into nothing on the bench like Andre Iguodala? Like, I just, I don't know yeah. because it seems like right now he wants, he wants, he's still, like you said, he's a star. And as a star, you want to be paid like a star. He still wants to be paid like a star. Who knows what the Warriors are going to do there? So I think the the secret piece of this is that Wiseman's development has still been kind of stalled. And, you know, if he comes in and he's the number two pick and athletically with his length and, you know, his defensive upside and even with what he was showing offensively, like if he's able to step in in a role with – Steph and Clay and whatever, you know, the wings they're able to throw out there. If he's able to step in and be an athletic five and produce, maybe we're having a different conversation here because he is a cheap asset at this point. You know, you're not going to pay, you're not paying him very much being the second pick in the draft, but he's back in the G League right now. I get there's some injury stuff going on with him, but I feel like, I feel like if Wiseman had come into the season and was just, like really, really showed some signs to start the season. The Draymond talk would have been awesome. Or even maybe in, in camp, if Wiseman's awesome in camp, maybe Draymond gets a suspension for the Jordan Poole thing. But they're still kind of in the same position Damn. where they need him out there as a as a pseudo big, and he's still able to produce in that system. But I think at the highest level against most teams off his detriment on offense is going to show through. And like we said, if that's Giannis and the bucks last year in the finals, I think, I think it shows through because he's not, he's not able to punk Giannis the way he punks the Boston Celtics. And I don't know if he's able, if he's going to be able to do to the Boston Celtics, what he did to the Boston Celtics, because I mean, Tatum, your boy, you can gush about him all you want. Cause he's been unbelievable to start the season. The man is literally, yeah. literally perfect. And now they've had that experience going against him. So they're hopefully a tougher basketball team. Just, you know, the the decline is there and they still have value. He still has value at this point. I don't, it's early in the season. The Warriors, I once they get back to being healthy and Steph is playing and Clay's playing and they're doing their like like their record will bear out. They're already winning games again. Like they'll be fine. But Maybe yeah. this, maybe the seeds, maybe this is just something they want to do as a team in general, going in a different direction in the future. But I don't know. Maybe the seeds of something are starting now, early in the season. Yeah, and um, I mean, they, I mean, they need to change something. You know, I don't know if this is sustainable for the rest of the year if they really want to be competitive. But you know, who knows what they'll do because. You know, Kerr has said there's no way he's benching Draymond. You know, I feel a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of loyalty between the two for obvious reasons. And, you know, these young players definitely have to earn for these minutes because, I mean, they may have, you know, Jordan, Jordan Poole comes out and balls out. And now it's like, well, why are you bringing back Clay? Um, but they, I mean, they continue to trust who they got there. And, um, you know, with the there, it looks like they just want to run it back, same old gang. And it's one of those things where you have the championship for the Warriors, and you're like, 
you know, where it reaffirms maybe some of the bad habits or not great things about the team. And now they're kind of affected for who knows how long. And I think that's kind of where they're at right now, where, you know, now Draymond's kind of like, oh, we proved it. We proved them wrong. We won. And um, looks like they might be stuck for them for a while. But yeah, I don't I don't think Draymond's going anywhere. I don't I don't think anyone will trade for him. I don't know if anyone will take him. So um Well and the other the other thing is they don't have the veterans this year like they did last you know, they don't have Gary Payton and you know Juan Toscano Anderson as a knife man is not the worst thing in the world. Igudala mm-hmm. is not really is not really playing this year. They don't have those guys to supplement over the course of the regular season with the young guys that really you know, gives you a deep roster. So the young guys having to play more night to night, you know, stepping up in the big roles. Yeah. Like it, it's just, it's just something that's going to have to work itself out. It'll be fine in the long run, but we'll see what happens. Mystery guy for the Lakers, LeBron wedding. Draymond punches. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's Sohan. He's, he's been looking great. He was looking like a star right now. Bohan's untouchable. Untouch. You're hanging up every call. That's right. Oh, um, Sohan, young Draymond. Oh, yeah. He looks. He looks great. Maybe young Dennis Rodman because of the hair. I don't know. You know, because of the hair. Um, but I think he has. He has the offensive intelligence of the the way like Draymond can operate the system to perfection. Like oh, Sohan okay. is just Sohan. Sohan is so much fun to watch, and his defense, his hustle, where. He can be. He can. He can somehow guard all five positions on the same defensive possession the way Draymond can. I. I. I do see the similarities there with Sohan. I just Sohan's not a clutch guy. Oh, okay. So it doesn't work. All right. Well, I'll be, yeah, definitely interesting to keep an eye on him. Kind of Scotty Barnes' interest. Um, well, anyway, um, getting a little end of the pot. Um, I guess we got a little frisbee corner here. So last week. Um, I, as we all know, I play with a uh, university of Iowa, uh, Hawkeye ultimate club and ultimate Frisbee. And we went to a Columbia, Missouri played at a tournament, two day tournament hosted by the Missouri, uh, Mizzou. Thanks for hosting us. And, um, yeah, we were in a pretty weak pool. I guess it's not too weak, but you know, we were pretty confident we want, we could win and we beat, we went three and all, even though we were ranked second in our pool. So. We, I mean, we played really well for our, our pool games. Went down to the last point in our game versus uh, the number one seed, but we pulled it out. So we got to play one of the top three teams in our region, which we were really excited to do because we got to beat them to make it to nationals, um, which, as we all know, it's the path to nationals. Maybe that's what we need to call this, the path to nationals. Who knows? But, yeah, we we had a kind of close game against that team. I mean, mostly with this this tournament, a lot of the teams – had their set lineups, you know, they're set, you know, it's not instead of basketball with five guys, it's seven guys, but we, I mean, they all have their set seven guys and we were just kind of running everyone out there. We had, you know, rookies out there, which includes me. So, you know, we kind of had the whole bench out there, all 15 guys. Um, So we're just running rotations, different rotations out there. Um, So we weren't trying too hard, but I mean, we had some close games Um, so that, so we went three and oh, and then we finished the, finished the weekend as three and three. So we lost. Yeah. So we did lose the rest of the games, but it was all against top guys. So our the first game was we had four games the first day. We won our first three. And then the fourth one was against Wisconsin. 
which was closed by the loss. And then the next day, um, we played and we were in the ninth place bracket. So we played against um, the back-to-back reigning D3 champs uh, in Oklahoma Christian University. Kind of bogus because they have scholarship athletes and they're really athletic. But yeah, scholarship athletes for Ultimate Frisbee. Kind of kind of wild. Uh, but yeah, it was close as well. You know, a couple a couple what we call breaks, but they got it. They got the lead, and then finished off the day um against iowa state who we actually it's a pretty frisbee is a nice close community you know some players from iowa state live in iowa city and some guys from our team live in the des moines area and you know we're around each other all the time so it's it's pretty good camaraderie you know um and but you know it went down to the final point we actually did have it in the end zone but and we we got it in there but uh it was dropped you know so we but they won on the very last point so we did end the weekend on a down note, but yeah, you know, tough to lose against our in-state rivals that um, they were called I Huck. They, they're called I suck. Um, and that's not a joke. That's actually their team name. I suck. It's kind of funny, but you know, it's tough to get lose against them, but you know, it was, you know, we'll get a chance to play against them, but that was, yeah, our last tournament of the year. Um, and, you know, congratulations to Colorado for winning the whole thing. Um, it's kind of interesting, you know, because with Frisbee, there's different levels of how good teams are. And so there's kind of us, we're kind of like decent, you know, for our region, we usually compete, try to make it. And then there's the teams that regularly make it to nationals and get destroyed. And then there's teams like Colorado, which are just top echelon. And, you know, they didn't allow, they went 13-0, you know, in their championship, which is bananas that you can just destroy a team like that. And they didn't have some of their top players because they were competing for under 24 USA teams and stuff like that. So it's just bananas, you know, just great teams like that just come in and destroy everyone. Um, But yeah. You know, it was it was a fun weekend, fun weekend with the guys um, down in Missouri, you know, um, just hanging, staying at a motel, went to Waffle House, you know, just just chilling with the guys and um, can't wait to, you know, grind out this winter, winter break, you know, hopefully not put on too many pounds and get ready for the spring where the real games will get played. That's that's when when the real path to national begins, but. Um, this was just kind of a testing out, seeing where we're at, and uh, we're definitely happy with where we're at. Um, you know, considering we were playing with open lines, we weren't, you know, we weren't putting just our best guys. And even in that last game, arguably our best player didn't play because he tweaked his ankle in the game before. So, you know, we, with him, who knows what happens? We had a couple guys who were banged up, so we weren't at full strength either. I mean, those teams weren't either, but. We're definitely excited for the future. So, yeah, I can't can't wait to see, you know, it's it's yeah, it's fun times, fun times. You said you said the real games are coming. So were these like exhibition tournaments you've been playing this whole time? Do these count toward a record? So, yes. So they are sanctioned tournaments as in like, you know, so the, the, the big, you know, kahuna of all of it. USAU, um, USA Ultimate, um, they're the ones who, like, even for when I was in clubs, they arranged all it and stuff like that. So these tournaments kind of determine where you're seated for those tournaments that matter. They determine whether you get invited for prestigious tournaments. So we were, you know, hoping to go to, like, a, a pretty prestigious tournament called Smoky Mountain. Um, and then how we did at this tournament kind of depended on it you know, and um, 
And then also, depending on how people, how the teams in our region compete at these tournaments, de um, depends, um, affects how many bids we get to nationals. So last year, you know, we didn't have as many good teams, so we only got two. But hopefully this year, we're hoping to get three or more bids so that we ourselves can hopefully get one. Um, because it's going to be a tall order to beat two of those top three teams. Because the top three teams in our region, the North Central region, are Carlton, which is in, I think, Minnesota. Uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota. And so those three teams have been going, have been, you know, they're, they're the, I mean, Wisconsin's been going to nationals for a long time and Carlton has been playing really well this year. Uh, Minnesota actually struggled to have that tournament, but I think they ended up getting fourth place. Um, but uh, definitely, and we ended up finishing 15th out of 36th. Um, but definitely, I mean, I think we had like, five or six teams from our region in the top 15. So, you know, considering that our T our division, our region finished really strong in this tournament, um, you know, will be good marks and yeah, hopefully we can get a couple more bids. So we don't have to worry about beating as many of those elite teams. Um, having a really, really good day against them. Cause those, I mean, it'll be regionals and sectionals. So regionals is usually bad weather. So who knows what happens, but that's why those games, that's why these games still matter. Um, yeah, even though, you know, obviously we didn't take it a hundred percent serious, but you know, it was only our A team there. So, um, we definitely, we were definitely trying. So then what does the road to nationals look like? Is there like a, a pool play first and then you guys get into a tournament or do you just go straight into a tournament? Is your seating already determined? Yeah. So for the, for, so for every single tournament and for this one, it was a little weird, but usually, so they'll split every all the teams into different pools. So the first day is usually pool play. It's usually three or four games. Um, the teams play against each other. Then, of course, whoever's, you know, first, usually in the next bracket will get a bye. Or, you know, it's the same with seedings. You know, they get the easier seeds. And then it all depends. Sometimes what's weird with some uh, tournaments is they'll do a crossover game. So they'll have a team crossover from one pool to the other see you know to decide who gets in the pool stuff like that um also interesting with frisbee is that they'll have certain pools that guarantee spots no matter where you finish they're called power pools so every single team in there is good so they had that at this division in this tournament where they had two divisions with just all the elite the with three elite teams each in them and each of those teams were guaranteed a spot pretty much i, I think that maybe the last place or second place still had to win a crossover game but Usually for power pools, it's just, you know, encouraging those teams to come play so that they can, they'll just have high level competition the whole time because, you know, they may not want to come if they're just playing bums the whole time, which, you know, it's not, you know, may not be bums for other people, but, you know, considering, like we mentioned earlier, the levels of ultimate and you always want to be having quality competition to get those guys out there, you know, so that's why they have those power pools. So, it, it, you know, but usually it's pool play the first week, first gay day. So that's where we had our three and oh. Um, and we thankfully had a nice staggered schedule where we played the worst team first and then consider according to seating and moving up. Um, but for the path to national. So we'll have a couple tournaments, maybe two or three before um, what we have is sectionals. Then in our section, we face, you know, just the pretty much local team. So Nebraska, Iowa State, UNI, um, Illinois, you know, and usually we're not too worried about sectionals. Um, we usually handle clean house there. 
Um, last couple of years, we've won sectionals. Um, it's usually us against Iowa State. We're usually the two best teams in our section. Um, and then regionals is where – so then, yeah, with that seeding, that's based on – so USAU does that seeding um, for all the tournaments, um, so for those – especially those special ones, which they call the college series. Um, so then, all you know, sections around the nations they'll have – I think some teams, if they make nationals enough times, they can just skip those because, I mean, you know, those games are pretty much you know, superfluous for the some teams where – you know, like Wisconsin or other teams like that, you know, they're going to make it every time. And USAU knows that, so they're not going to make them waste their time. Um, and then we have regionals. So that's where all the work from the whole season, the whole body of work matters, because then that's where the seating comes in. Um, but they don't have, I'm pretty sure they don't, yeah, they don't have power pools for the regionals because, you know, everyone wants to obviously go there because that's the only way you qualify for nationals. So, yeah, that's the same way. So the first day they'll have, you know, the pool play, and then that'll affect the next day in terms of whether, I mean, the main thing for the pool play is to win enough games to make the championship bracket, and that usually means winning your pool. If you get second place in your pool, usually you have to win a crossover game to make in the championship bracket. And then once, if you get third or fourth, you're pretty much going either into like the 15th place bracket or the 32nd place bracket. So usually by day two, you're almost always competing for some place. It's just where you're at. Um, but with Frisbee, it's kind of funny because once you start losing, you can really drop quick because, you know, and if you lose a game, if you win a game at the right time, it can really, I mean, it can guarantee you a certain spot. So for us, we won. Uh, so our first two games, we we destroyed them pretty badly. And then uh, for our pool, and then our third game against Cincinnati went down to the last point. And because we won it, the lowest we could get was 15th place. Um, which we sadly got. Um, but Cincinnati, even though they just lost, even though they had the, you know, they just lost one game to us, the highest place they could get was 16th. So, and then if they lost, they could have even gone further down. So, I mean, you know, it's it's weird with pool play and stuff like that, but um, pretty much short answer to your question is yes, there's, there's pool play where we have the divisions and then um, tournament, you know, bracket the next day. So, it's it's very I mean for that's the nice thing with frisbee is that like it's really easy to point to where every single thing it's very structured sport where it's very cut and dry you know it, with the whole game itself you take turns having the disc if you know the team starts on offense you know they score and then you know and if you you know if the defense is able to get a turnover and score on the offense it's called a break so that's how the team gets the lead. So it's very easy to point to, oh, this is a break. This is a break. This is, you know, and the team, other team can do it themselves. So it's it's a very structured sport. You know, you can't ever drop the disc. You know, it drops. It's So it's a very cut and dry sport. But at the same time, because it can be so cut and dry, um, you know, they, that's why they emphasize a lot on spirit and being nice. And, you know, it's a self-officiated sport. So there's, you know, there's rules and stuff. So. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's a pretty fun game, you know, and it's, it's a lot more structure than I ever thought it was going to be. And yeah, very com uh, excited to compete this year. And we'll, we'll have to see, I don't, I don't know, but we'll keep you updated um, after the holidays. Um, but um, definitely um, make sure to check out the world cup. Are you planning to watch any world cup, any, any cheering on USA, any, anything with world cup? You know, I've been seeing the promos for it during all the games. Fox has really been going out of their way to make sure we know tis the season of the World Cup. And 
Sam, I'm a fan of anything that John Hamm does, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I'll I'll get sucked right. into I'll get sucked into some of the matches. I'm sure it will be on in the background at some point. I guess it will. Sure. I guess is it going to be on during the day? If it's like a day thing, you know, I it, yeah, if it doesn't compete we'll up see. against like basketball, they might have to stagger it because it'll be playing in Qatar. Who should I watch out for? Are there any? Are there any must watch? We got. I guess we got to do World Cup corner quickly. We could. Yeah, uh, USA is playing England, um, which is all, you know, obviously for obvious reasons is a huge match. We're in the same division as them, same group. So, you, you mean know, for I'm obvious thinking, reasons? Um, because, you know, colonizers. Obvious how? Colonizers, Political? Otherwise? Um, well, you know, the Revolutionary War, you know, colonizers, you know, retro, you know, back in the day. We've been fighting them since literally the birth of our nation you know <laughs> so there's a little bit of that also england's full of themselves and every time they played it's kind of been actually a really close game um even though england is so much more talented um but i think it's been like it's one and one or they're up they may be two to one like we've, we've got it's 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 really close between the two so um usa yeah playing england i hear um, this sam hates england yeah, he lived there two years. And somehow hate it. No, I mean, I don't hate them. It's just you know, there's 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 historical this historical rivalry right there. Um, I don't. I think that's the main one to watch out for. You know, for our American listeners. You know, it once. I mean, most of the most of the groups are pretty well sectioned out. There's not really you know two elite teams or super elite teams in one division. I mean, I guess. Maybe Spain and Germany, if they play each other, um, that could be interesting. But, you know, if you miss the first couple of days, it's fine. It's just a couple group games. You know, the lead team's pretty much flexing. And, you know, maybe some surprise shock results here and there. But once the bracket starts, that's where the real fun begins. You know, elimination rounds, penalties. That's when it's really time to turn on the TV. You know, once it gets a little closer in December, um, you know, and, you know, and if you don't enjoy the World Cup, that's a good thing because, you know, all the human rights violations by the country, you know, which makes us all soccer fans feel jealous for watching it. So, you know, it's 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 uh it's it's very uh it's an interesting sport. It's it's tough. It's tough right now. It's the yeah, most political we've ever gotten. I don't know. I think I don't know. Maybe have we did we ever did we talk about Trump having the Clemson players at the White House when they had those McDonald's meals. Uh, I don't. I don't think we did. But who knows? I don't know. A little political pod. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if the listeners are ready for that one. But who knows? Um, I, maybe the Super League. There, there was that too. I need to explain a little bit about that. But um, I don't know. There's not not too often we've dwelled into the into the. Uh, political stuff, which, you know, hopefully y'all voted, by the way. Make sure you uh, exercise your right to vote. Hopefully y'all did that. Um, that's already passed, but um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe we're going to World War Three since we're on the thing of politics and <laughs> since, since Poland's getting bombed. Yikes. Who knows? Maybe maybe we're getting drafted. You ready to get, get drafted, Rem? Here we go. Hot take. Here's the after the bonus bonus take. 
which which armed force would you pick out of all of them? We we can't, you know, obviously no slight against any armed force, but you know, everyone got to pick one, and, and the people in there picked one. So which which one you pick? Kansas won tonight. They pulled out the win over Duke. I just want to watch basketball and football and sports and <laughs> stupid movies for as long as possible. He said, I don't want to think about that. You don't even, don't even want to think about that. Yeah, no, I'm surprised Kansas came back, actually. Must be that championship heart. Um, who knows? My answer is the Air Force, though. But uh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, good, good for Kansas there. Yeah, good amenities. Yeah, who knows? You're up in the air. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little scared of heights, though. Who knows? Maybe we'll be stuck in the army. I don't know. Anyway, uh, this thing got really off the tracks, but uh, thank you for listening. Um, also, shout out to Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. You know, George Russell winning his first race. Check out F1. I can't wait to one day get a paddock ticket race. You know, cool stuff there. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening to the pod. And shout out Israel on. Adesanya. I know, I know he got knocked oh, yeah. out. I know he got knocked out. Perea's a much bigger, much stronger, much more powerful fighter. But Adesanya's a boy. Adesanya will be back in the rematch. Adesanya's going to have a good shot at beating him. It's hard to have the belt for that long. He had the belt for over a 1,000 days. It's kind of a number where you get to a point where it's like, at some point, you know, you're just due for a loss. This was like the first scene in a Creed movie where the opposing fighter comes out and you're like, he's how much bigger, how much stronger than this guy? And he gets knocked out. Adesanya will be back at the end of the movie. The rematch will be insane. Shout out to Izzy. Shout out to the champ who was devastated when Adesanya went down. But shout out to Bray as well. He's the uh, the new middleweight UFC champion. So, I mean, you got F1. I got UFC, I guess. Those are like our niche sports. There you go. I'm not going to lie. I, do, I have no idea. Usually I'm like, oh, fight happened and it wasn't Jake Paul. Interesting. Um, but yeah, no. I, thanks for listening to the pod. Thanks for still being here. Um, check out the Instagram. You know, Rem's going to have some fire reels come out, you know, hopefully this week. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, check out our other stuff at spop.media. Probably should update that page at some point. And yeah, thanks for listening. Have a good night. Oh,